You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on Judicial Watch's anti-corruption activities here on social media. Thanks for joining us this busy week. A lot to talk about. I'll get right into it. The deep state confirmed in the New York Times new Mueller FBI documents about the Wiener laptop non-investigation, new steel documents showing that the dossier is even less credible than we already know, a big victory in court for a uh, hero of the Fort Hood shooting. So that's great news. Uh, but first up, though, a uh, major revelation in the New York Times that the deep state is real and a clear and present danger to our constitutional republic. The New York Times took the extraordinary step of allowing some anonymous coward uh, from the Trump administration to publish a piece, a full-length opinion editorial on its pages, attacking President Trump and confirming there's resistance within the administration uh, to his policies and his goals and agenda. Now remember, who is elected to the presidency? The president, Donald Trump, people he appoints, officials that report to him are supposed to implement his agenda. And if they don't like it, they can leave. It's simple as that. But here we have an admission in the New York Times that there is a criminal criminal enterprise afoot. I'll let the train pass. So here we have this admission in the New York Times that there's a criminal enterprise afoot within the administration to thwart the president's agenda for really no good reason, because the opinion piece is well, uh, it's all over the internet, so you can look at it yourself. Uh, But um, the author admits that there are many senior officials in his own administration that are working diligently from within to frustrate parts of his agenda and his worst inclinations. And then this person writes, I would know I am one of them. Now, he suggests that he's really a right-winger, but obviously uh, he's a lawless thug who is attacking the president from a position of power and trust, a public trust, in an anonymous way, and taking the law into his own hands and bypassing the will of the American voters as expressed in the presidential election. And, and, you know, what's interesting about this opinion editorial, it's... It's also kind of threatening. Given the instability many witnessed, there were early whispers within the cabinet of invoking the 25th Amendment, which would start a complex process for removing the president. Hey, I don't believe that. But no one wanted to precipitate a constitutional crisis. So we will do what we can to steer the administration in the right direction, by their lights, not the voter lights, not by the lights of the voters, until... One way or another, it's over. What, what does that mean? You know, as I said, a criminal conspiracy is afoot here. I think the Justice Department needs to investigate this. I think the FBI needs to investigate this, assuming they're, they're, someone in the FBI actually didn't author it. I think the Secret Service needs to investigate this opinion editorial because of its threatening nature. But talk about the laws that are at issue here. There are laws against treason because, you know, when you substitute your own will on foreign policy because they spend a lot of time talking about Russia here, 
By the way, there are no substantive complaints about Mr. Trump. They agree with, uh, according to the uh, op-ed, they, uh, this writer agrees with him on a lot of policies. Uh, they don't like the way he runs meetings because they kind of veer off what they were supposed to be about. Well, isn't that what meetings in business are often about? Having meetings and the topic at issue gets sometimes sidetracked, and that's a reason to commit sedition? And in the area of foreign policy, depending on what this op-ed writer is doing, they may be committing treachery. But it's certainly in the least sedition. And sedition generally is efforts to overthrow a lawful government. And that's what's going on here. And, of course, the New York Times is cheering it along. The media is gleefully asking cabinet officials whether they wrote the op-ed. I tell you, I guarantee you no cabinet official wrote this. I suspect no one in the White House wrote it. It doesn't read as if there's someone in the White House who wrote it. I suspect it's a second or third tier official, probably not appointed by the president, meaning uh, someone who requires Senate confirmation, probably a bureaucrat who's been elevated and stupidly appointed by a political appointee of the president who hates the president. And uh, I can tell you, the Justice Department should be investigating this, the Secret Service should be investigating this, but you know how this goes. It's the deep state investigating itself. And so uh, I suspect they won't do much here, uh, or not much will be done. Uh, so you can, as I, as I uh, jokingly tweeted, this sounds like a job for Judicial Watch. And you can bet that Judicial Watch will do the investigation uh, that we're able to do under the law to figure out who this uh, who is behind uh, this seditious conspiracy against the president and against you and against our constitutional form of government, against our republic. That's what is an issue here with the deep state. And I love the fact that the leftist media makes fun of the deep state and then writes in its, in its uh, organ the New York Times, its chief organ, the New York Times, allows an op-ed to be published that confirms that there are people within the administration whose goal is to thwart the president's agenda. Now, in this case, they say they're Republicans who kind of want him to succeed uh, but uh, change his direction on areas they don't want to admit to. But the deep state generally doesn't like reform. They don't like the aggressive tack this president is taking in terms of trying to go after the swamp as best as he's able. And so they're willing to break the law and break the rules in order to thwart him. So I don't know what the Justice Department's going to do. I don't know what the Justice FBI is going to do or the Secret Service or anyone else. But you can trust that Judicial Watch is going to try to do its best to figure out who this person is and who else is working with them. So this is a real crisis, uh, and I've, I've, many of you are older than me, but I've been around Washington for longer than I care to admit to. I've never seen anything like this. this is a, they don't like President Trump, so the rule of law doesn't apply to him. The rules of our constitutional republic, the rights and powers he has, as granted by Article Two of the Constitution, 
He doesn't get to exercise. And if you don't like the way he behaves, or you don't like the way he talks, it gives you, according to this lawless approach, it gives you the right to thwart his policy and thwart his agenda while being paid to advance it. We point out in an op-ed, I think it's going to be published this weekend, that officials like this don't take an oath to defend and support the Constitution, uphold the Constitution. This is an oath breaker here being published in the New York Times. No hero, and of course it's anonymous. If it was the constitutional crisis they pretend it is, why, isn't, why aren't they being public? So we're going to find out. We're going to do our darnest to find out what's going on here. But this, this is what we're fighting. If you want to know why it is we have difficulty getting documents sometimes out of this administration, I guarantee you it's because of people like this who think they know better. Because they see documents that might hurt the Obama regime and help President Trump's argument that there's lawlessness within his agencies targeting him and, the con- and as I said, our constitutional system. You can bet that's one of the reasons they slow, rock, uh, slow roll the release of information, if not withhold it in, in its entirety. For instance, the FBI... I'll use by by way of one example. example. The FBI is telling us the text messages that its disgraced uh, former number two, Andrew McCabe, sent or received about the Clinton scandal, the email scandal that was wired and rigged by McCabe, Comey, and the rest at the FBI, Peter Strzok. Those text messages can't be released at all to Judicial Watch. They shouldn't even have to look at them because they're not subject to FOIA. So this guy, Andrew McCabe, who now, according to the Washington Post, is subject to a grand jury investigation for lying to FBI investigators, is being protected by this same FBI from having documents disclosed that you can bet would further undermine the argument that there was an honest investigation, A, of the Clinton scandal, and B, of the Trump-Russia thing which we know was just bunk, and they were just trying to get Trump. This is what happens, and you're seeing evidence of it in this Wall Street Journal, um, excuse me, this New York Times piece, which is just, it's just incredible. It really is just incredible. And, uh, but we keep on fighting through. We keep on pushing through this obstruction I'm talking about. And to that end, we received some more documents about this uh, corrupt investigation of Hillary Clinton, let me see, let me pull it out here. Um, excuse me, there's a lot of documents here. Ha, ah, here it is. We have new records that show that Peter Strzok, the anti-Trumper FBI agent, special agent, number two, top official within the counterintelligence division of the FBI, the intelligence division of the FBI, I mean. Uh, He had been fired because of his anti-Trump animus. He wrote the initial draft letter that Comey sent to Congress well over a month late, notifying them of the fact that they, quote, had to reopen the Clinton email investigation because their emails were all over Anthony Weiner's laptop. Anthony Weiner, 
at that time married to Yuma Abedin, Hillary Clinton's top aide, who also had a secret email account on Hillary Clinton's email server. So the documents show how Peter Strzok was really one of the guiding forces uh, behind the whole investigation. And one thing you should also know is that the inspector in general of the Justice Department found that the delay in the notification to Congress, the delay of even looking at the Wiener laptop emails, may have been caused by this anti-Trump agenda by Peter Strzok, and I guarantee you others in the FBI. The documents also show that, uh, you may recall, uh, just before the election, Comey sent a second letter to Congress saying, oh, don't worry, there was nothing new in the Wiener laptops that are going to change our mind that Hillary Clinton should not be prosecuted for her national security crimes. Well, it turns out that letter was sent despite his getting an email from his top, uh, a top official at the FBI at 11 o'clock the previous night suggesting that not all of the emails, 650,000 of which I think they found, potentially, had been reviewed. So Comey is sending a letter, it looks like, so, uh, to Congress saying, no, uh, nothing to see here, even though they hadn't reviewed the records. So they found all these Clinton email-related materials, and rather than look at them all before deciding whether or not they should really do anything serious, uh, they didn't do that, because uh, Paul Sperry of, uh, wrote a piece, an investigative journalist, Paul Sperry wrote a piece in Real Clear Investigations, which is a website, reporting that only 3,000 of the 694,000 emails found on the Wiener laptop were directly reviewed for classified or incriminating information. Three FBI officials completed that work in a single 12-hour spurt the day before Comey again cleared Clinton of criminal charges. Well, I don't think my uh, friend Paul is right there because it looks like this email that they didn't even review the documents that they had pulled out to review. So pretty incredible. Again, it shows why, confirms that the corrupt and dishonest investigation that took place into the Clinton email matter. And it raises the question, when is this Justice Department run by the Attorney General Jeff Sessions and this FBI run by uh, Christopher Wray, the new FBI director who replaced Comey, when are they going to really investigate what went on with the Clinton email issue? We know the matter was rigged. We know the investigation was, uh, was, was, was directed in a way to, result, to guarantee a result that Hillary Clinton wouldn't be prosecuted. So are they going to allow that to be the final word on the Clinton email issue? What Comey did, what Lynch did, what Peter Strzok did, what Lisa Page did, what Andrew McCabe did? Are they going to ratify what they did by not acting on this evidence that the investigation, evidence that they have? I mean, we didn't get this from some mystery person like the New York Times suggests. These are official FBI records turned over to us as a result of a lawsuit that, that demonstrate further that the investigation was rigged. Judicial Watch is getting emails showing 
repeatedly that there was classified information not only on Hillary Clinton's email server, but on Anthony Weiner's laptop from Hillary Clinton's email server. And there were classified emails that Hillary Clinton had tried to delete or otherwise withhold from the American people. And this Justice Department and this FBI has done nothing to reinitiate, prosecute, or frankly just arrest Hillary. Because if it were anyone else, they would have been arrested and be awaiting trial right now. But we're just going to keep on doing the work. And you ought to be asking, why isn't the Justice Department doing anything? And you ought to be asking, why isn't Congress demanding that the Justice Department do something? Look, we don't want Hillary Clinton to be prosecuted because of politics. We don't want Hillary Clinton to be prosecuted out of vengeance. We want Hillary Clinton to be prosecuted and investigated because it's the right thing to do under a system that purports to follow the rule of law. That Hillary Clinton shouldn't get a get-out-of-jail-free card because, A, she ran for the Democratic, uh, she ran as a Democrat for the president, and, B, that she lost. Because that's the way the swamp operates. You run for office, especially a presidency, and you lose, all let bygones be bygones. But that's not the way the rule of law is supposed to go. And if Jeff Sessions and Robert Ray don't want to do anything else on the Clinton emails, then they should be forthright enough, enough to come out and tell us and tell us why. They can say, look, we don't want to do anything. We don't agree with what they did in 2016. We're just going to ignore the law here for political reasons and reasons of the public interest. Come up with something and suffer the consequences from public reaction, but don't bury it. And we're not going to bury it. We're going to keep on telling you what we find because there's more coming. I guarantee you there's more coming. And to that end, I dropped to something that I need to pick up. We just uncovered more documents about the other scandal. And what's the other scandal? It's the Russia scandal, the deep state scandal targeting President Trump, initiated by the Obama gang in league with Hillary Clinton and the Democratic National Committee and their vendor, Fusion GPS. So uh, we've uncovered the FISA warrants targeting Carter Page to demonstrate that the Clinton DNC dossier was misleadingly used to convince the courts to approve spy warrants, extraordinary spy warrants targeting the Trump team through Carter Page. We've uncovered, uh, most importantly uh, for the purposes of this discussion, the FBI file, more or less, on Christopher Steele. And the documents we uncovered from that file show that Steele met with the FBI at least 11 times in 2016. Actually, 13 times. He was paid 11 times in 2016. And in November 1st, 2016, the FBI uh, called Steele out and told him he wasn't allowed to be a source. And this is the document. The document included a closing source communication uh, that states that Steele, referred to as a confidential human source, is being closed because Steele confirmed to us, confirmed to an outside third party, that he had a confidential relationship with the FBI. CHS, the confidential human source, Steele, was used as a source for an online article. In the article, Steele revealed his relationship with the FBI as well as information 
that Steele obtained and provided to the FBI. On November 1st, 2016, Steele confirmed all of this to the handling agent, the FBI agent who was handling him. At that time, handling agent advised Steele that the nature of its relationship between the FBI and the confidential human source, Steele, would change completely, and it was the, uh, unlikely that the FBI would continue a relationship with him. Additionally, the agent advised the confidential human source was not to operate to obtain any intelligence whatsoever on behalf of the FBI. And, of course, the document shows that he was closed off as a source. Nevertheless, Bruce Orr of the Department of Justice, whose wife worked for Fusion GPS, continued to work with Steele and send his material to the FBI. So he had a conflict of interest because of the money he was getting through his wife at Fusion GPS. And, of course, the FBI had said he was a bad character. And yet they continued to use that material to gain warrants, the renewals of warrants, to spy on the Trump team. Unbelievable material. But now, as a result of the lawsuit that uncovered this, this week we just uh, uncovered more documents out of the FBI, forced their release, showing that the FBI had tried to verify the material that Steele had given them, mainly the dossier, and they found it to be essentially minimally corroborated. And this is the document. It's a group of documents, most of it, much of which is redacted. It's about 20 pages of documents. I would say 99% of it is redacted. But what isn't redacted is a human source validation report. It looks to me like they were trying to resurrect Steele as a source, but it looks like they weren't able to based on the following. Uh, blank concurs with the closing of blank, meaning it looks like someone concurred that Steele shouldn't be a source anymore. They say that uh, his documents uh, that materially have been given only uh, have, uh, were assessed with medium confidence and that his reporting had been minimally corroborated. And, of course, he had broken the rules by informing others about his relationship and details that he was given the FBI. Minimally corroborated. That's the language Devin Nunes used to describe the dossier. Remember the dossier memo that Nunes wrote earlier this year? It's confirmed. The left told you that Nunes, the Nunes memo, blowing the lid over the, off the corrupt dossier and its misuse for the FISA courts, was not right. Well, this is further confirmation of the Nunes memo. Because Nunes said this dossier that was minimally corroborated was used to get the FISA courts to approve spy warrants. Well, it looks like he's right, because the FBI says the dossier was minimally corroborated. So they, didn't have, they had a dossier they couldn't trust, but they didn't tell the court that. They didn't tell the court it was minimally corroborated. And these courts, as Judicial Watch uncovered last week, as I told you, never held a hearing on these spy warrants targeting the Trump team. I don't know what they're there for if they're not going to hold hearings when the FBI and Justice Department come in and say we want to spy essentially on the Trump team. They're saying Carter Page in the warrants, but it was all about getting Trump. And not one court held a hearing on it. There were four different judges that one judge heard the initial application 
the way the courts work is that judges kind of circulate. Uh, I guess they get assigned for a week at a time to hear cases, and they revolve. And in the end, there were four different judges who were given the opportunity to ask questions in a hearing of the FBI about the targeting of the Trump team, and no one did. Maybe if they had, they would have uncovered the corruption that was staring at them in their face. Unbelievable stuff. So, again, it's Judicial Watch that's getting this. Isn't it incredible? Not Congress. Not the media. It's Judicial Watch. It's Judicial Watch Federal Freedom of Information Act requests that would never have come out but for us. We got the FISA court warrants. We've got the Clinton emails. We got the Mueller emails. We got the Steele FBI documents. We've got the disclosures that there were no uh, FISA court hearings on these extraordinary spying operations against the Trump team. Only Judicial Watch is doing it. And now the president is in the news again because he's been talking about uh, this corruption and he's been talking about, these are the spy warrants, by the way, that Judicial Watch uncovered through Freedom of Information Act requests. They're heavily redacted. Now, there are 20 pages or so of this material that it doesn't need to be redacted because it's not really classified in the traditional sense. It's classified because the deep state doesn't want its corruption to be exposed to you, the American people. The members of Congress who have reviewed this have shown that it doesn't, I've, I've, I've said that it doesn't need to be classified. I trust them. The president should trust them. We already know the material that had been declassified already by the president. As a result, it was, uh, the applications were released to us. You can see that it didn't need to be declassified. It didn't need to be classified. Its classification basically was just covering corruption. So already we know there's corruption based on what's been released partially here. And from what we've learned from those who've looked at it and have talked about this on TV and elsewhere, that this is only half what's in there. And what else is in there is just as bad, if not worse. So the president is thinking about declassifying this. He should. I trust he will. I think he's going to do it. In the meantime, you should let the White House know what you think about this declassification effort. I'll give you the number, but I don't know it off the top of my head, but you can find it. We'll probably post it on the screen later or in our feeds later. But this is pretty serious Uh, this is a pretty serious scandal, and if the president wants to take a, if the president really wants to strike a blow against the deep state, this is what he needs to be doing. He needs to be taking these steps towards transparency, ordering disclosure, letting the sun shine in on the corruption, targeting him, his associates, and his family, because. President Obama, who had a big speech this week, can you believe the University of Illinois gave President Obama an ethics award? Can you believe it? The IRS scandal, the Benghazi lies. He called Benghazi a conspiracy theory, by the way. President Obama behind 
also this deep state spying on President Trump back when he was a candidate. The best he can do is to just follow the law, tell the agencies to follow the Freedom of Information Act, and release the documents. And of course, Congress is asking the documents pursuant to their authority under the Constitution, and they're getting the runaround. So this is, this is the opportunity the president, the president doesn't need to do too much. He's already taking steps towards transparency, I know. And these additional steps can have tremendous results. So we've got another great piece of news to give you, and I want to end on a high note because uh, this is the result of uh, a big Judicial Watch effort on behalf of a hero. And it's a Fort Hood hero, Joshua Berry, who since has passed away. But he was there at Fort Hood in 2009. And uh, Sergeant Berry uh, should have been eligible and should have received the Purple Heart. His father applied for him uh, you know, after he died, and um, the initial review board said, yeah, you're right, Sergeant Berry should get the Purple Heart. But an official in the Army overruled the recommendation of the initial reviewing body. So we sued in federal court. So I'll give you the details. And the federal court just ruled the Army needs to go back to the drawing board and explain to the court exactly why they overruled their own internal recommendation to recommend a Purple Heart for Sergeant Barry. So what happened is, after the Fort Hood massacre, you may recall uh, the dishonest Obama gang uh, called it a, a, an incident of workplace violence. So no one could get a Purple Heart or any awards. But uh, Congress enacted legislation in 2014 overturning that and mandating that service members killed or wounded in the attack targeting members of uh, the armed forces and carried out by an individual in communication with and or inspired or motivated by a foreign terrorist organization be eligible for a Purple Heart. Isn't it outrageous that Congress had to pass a law like that in order to guarantee those heroes down in Fort Hood would be uh, adequately rewarded? So as a result, uh, the Secretary of Army uh, announced that service members injured or killed at, at Fort Hood were eligible for the Purple Heart if they met the regulatory criteria. Now, the Purple Heart is not like your typical award where you, someone has to designate you as have done something heroic. You're eligible as a result of meeting certain criteria. And uh, a soldier is uh, entitled to the Purple Heart if they meet that criteria. And it became clear that Sergeant Barry, whose cause again, you know, Sergeant Barry is no longer with us. And his cause was advocated by his father, who is still with us, Howard Berry. Uh, he certainly met the criteria. And what had happened was that Berry suffered a uh, dislocated left, soldier, uh, left shoulder during the terrorist attack. And uh, in witness statements given to the U.S. Army Criminal Investigative Command, and I'm going to read this detail to you because I want to honor Sergeant Berry's memory about what happened here. Frankly, the others who were killed and wounded and otherwise harmed at that terrorist attack. Sergeant Barry had estimated that Hassan fired 30 to 40 rounds outside building 42004 at Fort Hood. That's one of the buildings near the scene of the uh, deadly attack. 
Sergeant Barry told those around him to get down on the floor and stay away from the doors and windows. When Sergeant Barry heard gunshots hit the metal doors near him, he leaped over a desk to take cover and in doing so dislocated his left shoulder. He then heard Hassan trying to kick in the doors. According to a witness statement from another individual, Hassan fired three rounds at the briefing room doors. Now, as I said, Mr. Barry's father applied for the award of the Purple Heart for his son after he died. The U.S. Army Decorations Board denied Mr. Barry's application, um, unfortunately. And uh, what happened was the initial board re- uh, re- uh, rejected the application for a Purple Heart. It went up to another review board, a three-member panel, the Army Board uh, for Correction of Military Records, and they recommended that Barry get his Purple Heart. There is no question, I'm quoting, that Sergeant Barry's injury met the basic medical criteria for award for the Purple Heart. And it provided a detailed, the report divided a detailed analysis of the degree to which the enemy, the terrorists, caused, caused Sergeant Barry's injury. So you would think it's a no-brainer here that Sergeant Barry get the Purple Heart. But a few months later, the Deputy Assistant Secretary of the Army at the time, the review board's Francine C. Blackman, issued a single-paragraph memo saying that under the authority I have determined, uh, under the authority of the law here, I mean, I'm going to cite the law specifically, I have determined that the facts do not support a conclusion that his injury met the criteria for a Purple Heart. Not sufficient evidence to grant relief. That's all she wrote. So we sued in court on behalf of this cause. And the court, Judge Cooper in this case, agreed with us. He said the court could not meaningfully evaluate the reasoning behind that decision. And decisions which are utterly unreviewable must be vacated as arbitrary and capricious. Utterly unreviewable, unreviewable means that that you had this, this official make a decision without anything to back it up. Just Judge Cooper noted the Army's final memorandum provides no meaningful analysis, only a boilerplate, only a boilerplate determination, quote, that the facts do not support a conclusion that Barry's injury met the criteria for a Purple Heart. Why not? Was there conflicting evidence regarding how immediate of a threat Hassan posed to Barry as he sat inside the building? Was the evidence clear that but the Deputy Assistant Secretary thought that Barry could have taken cover without injuring himself? Or did she read the regulations as categorically taking the Purple Heart off the table for service members injured while taking cover? The denial letter, letter provides no hints. In turn, the court cannot meaningfully evaluate the reasoning behind it. That is enough to warrant remand. On remand, the Army, consuming it wishes to risk, stick with its determination, must explain why Barry is not entitled to a Purple Heart and do so with sufficient clarity that, quote, a court can measure, quote, the denial against the arbitrary or capricious standard of the law, required by the law. So this is a great, great victory. Now, I wish the court had said, hey, give him the Purple Heart, but uh, it, it's, he kicked it back to the Army, and the Army's going to have to justify its decision 
and reconsider its decision not to award our, uh, uh, our hero, Sergeant Barry, his Purple Heart. And you can get, obviously, the award despite passing away. So this is a great victory. I, I, love, I, I love this work that we're here doing for this one person, Howard Berry, who is doing this on behalf of his son who's passed away. I love it because not only is it just and a good cause for Mr. Berry, who lost his son and his son's honor and memory, but it highlights the heroics of that day, the outrage of the terrorist attack, and educates Americans about the role our courts play and the military plays in making sure those who suffer through these attacks are taken care of and honorably highlighted for what they've done. So this is a great victory. It's a thrilling ruling. And I just hope the Army quickly comes to its senses and finally awards the Purple Heart, the well-deserved Purple Heart to Sergeant Barry. So, uh, you know, this isn't about the deep state. I guess it is in the sense that it's the mindless bureaucracy of the Army. It's a case for one individual, but it tells you a lot about the way government operates and that the courts can work. This is a federal court case. You can fight City Hall. You can fight City Hall if you're using Judicial Watch for sure. So we're honored to be able to do this work. Uh, you know, we represent other veterans uh, and military members in the past, so we have a special affinity and place in our hearts for those standing on the front lines who stood on the front lines for us. Uh, so we're, we're honored to be able to do the work. So this is a great way to close out a busy week. We have all this garbage going on here in Washington. And before I go, uh, some other good news. Uh, the Kavanaugh hearings took place this week. They're closing today. Uh, I tell you, uh, Kavanaugh is a great pick by the Supreme by President Trump. Uh, he's going to be, I think, a leader on the Supreme Court for the values that I think most Americans want from a justice, which is someone who's going to apply the law and not substitute their own politics for what the law and the Constitution require. Someone who uphold the rule of law and uphold the U.S. Constitution as opposed to amending it through judicial fiat, which is another aspect of government corruption. And Judge Kavanaugh went through, I think, 34 hearings is the number I think it is, but many, many hours of questioning by senators from both sides of the aisle. Some of the questioning was insane and corrupt. I'm thinking of Senator Booker, who thought he could lawlessly release confidential documents to try to get Kavanaugh. This is what the left has come to. Break the law if you don't like the person you're targeting. Just break the law to get them. And I did, I was able to attend the hearing uh, on when, uh, what's today, third Friday? I was able to attend the hearing on Wednesday for several hours. Uh, it's one thing to see the politics up on the, on the committee dais. But what was also going on was violent disruptions by the organized left in the back of the room. Now, if you were watching the hearings, you heard the disruptions, maybe saw some video of it. And I can tell you, the TV doesn't do it justice because it mitigates how nasty it is. Because when you're there in person, when the screaming starts, it's completely disruptive. 
You can't do anything until it stops. And some of the protesters, and they're not protesters, I hate to use the word protesters because they're engaging in criminal activity, so that's not really protesting, that's, criminal, that's criminality. Some of them leave quietly. Most of them don't. Most of them had to be dragged out and they violently resisted the police. So these were violent demonstrations taking place. And I have to commend, and uh, again, we commend our military, let's commend our police, the U.S. Capitol Police, who uh, really acted professionally. Because this is the situation they're facing. It's a very tight space. These people are refusing and resisting arrests. They need to be removed quickly and quietly so the committee can continue its deliberations and Judge Kavanaugh can answer the questions. They need to do that while protecting the safety of the criminal they're removing. Innocents also there to watch the hearings and obviously protecting themselves. What a job that is. And these guys, I mean, they're well equipped. I wouldn't mess with any of these police officers. But it's still tough. If someone is refusing to leave a room, you've got to drag them out. It's dangerous. But that lawlessness was not good to see. It's never happened before to the extent it's happened before in any hearing I can recall here in Washington, D.C. But So this is what's going to happen, mob rule in these hearings. You had Senator Booker engaging in misconduct, saying, I am Spartacus, which is ridiculous. By releasing documents he wasn't allowed to under the law or by Senate rules. But the good news is Kavanaugh's going to get confirmed because this violence, this lawlessness is uh, a result of the fact that the left knows it's going to lose. So they're going to lose the Kavanaugh vote, so this is the way they react. They don't want to engage in normal politics. They want to engage in violence and lawlessness. So the Senate will vote on Kavanaugh, and he will be the next justice of the Supreme Court. So that's the good news, and uh, the, I'm glad to see the mob didn't win, the mob violence didn't win, but that's no guarantee it won't win in the future. So I suggest that after these hearings, Senate leaders get together, and you should let your senators know what you think of what went on. Are they going to let that happen again? I think Senator Grassley should have cleared the room of public uh, participants. It would have been unfair to those who wanted to see them in an honest way. I've been going on too long. My background has stopped. But, that was a, um, uh, but that's something that needs to be grappled with by the Senate. Uh, are they going to allow that sort of criminality to take place repeatedly? And if that's going to happen, they're going to have to do something different about these hearings. And it's punishing to the First Amendment rights and the, of uh, the petition to government, unfortunately, of honest Americans, but the criminals can't be allowed to win here. So that's the challenge as we move forward to the victory for those of us who support the rule of law and the Constitution of seeing Kavanaugh confirmed. So with that, I'm really going to end the program today. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we'll see you next week here on Judicial Watch's Weekly Update. <laughs>
You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.